0: Hey, I just want to uh, welcome all of you, of course, we're glad you're here today. For all of you that are sitting on your porch and you're here involuntarily, we're glad you live here. Uh, I want to mention a couple people that we're especially thankful for coming out today. The York County Regional Police Department Mounted Unit is here, yeah. (laughs) Lieutenant Zek is here, and uh, the horses Bishop and Judge, yeah. Yeah. One of their volunteers, Heather, is here, and a staff member, Lisa Jones. Welcome. Thank you for coming to be a part of our Hometown Heroes celebration. We also want to welcome the York County Sheriff's Office, uh, Christy, their paralegal and deputy, Banks, who's also a retired United States Marine Corps and a minister. Yeah. Welcome today. So glad to have you here. Also want to welcome the York County Hazmat 6791A, Jim Fry. The Hazmat technician is here As well as Chris Bears Cove, thank you guys. And many others I'm sure that I don't have listed in front of me. So many even in this local community that serve as volunteer firefighters. And uh, we're just so grateful for your service to this community, to the surrounding communities. And so we wanted to take today right here on this Labor Day weekend to just uh, give you honor. The word says give honor to whom honor is due. And so we're, we're thankful for our first responders. Amen, church? Amen. Today, what we're going to do here for the next few moments is we're going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to actually go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If you don't, on the lyric sheets that we're giving you for worship, some of the scriptures we'll be reading are also on there, so you can look at those verses. And uh, as we're getting the Bible out and getting ready for that, I want to read a prayer today. It's not our tradition to read liturgical prayers, but I thought this was a beautiful prayer, and it's written specifically for first responders. So I want to pray this in first person. If you're a first responder today, uh, just let these words be your prayer, and then we'll get into the word. O God, who shrank not from danger, but willingly entered the chaos of our world. Walk with me now as I enter the hard moments of others. As I rush into flickering vignettes of fear and loss, may I carry them into your presence, your comfort, your peace. Do not let my adrenaline overmaster my empathy. May those whose lives are overturned by emergency find in their interactions with me their distresses calmed their burdens lightened. As I assess and act, let my heart be always guided by mercy, my mind by right judgment, and my hands by your wisdom, that by all means, my presence in another person's moment of pain or confusion might mark the beginning of your movement to redeem the disruption of their lives. And in those situations where my strength or my skill is not enough. To to aid or to save when loss or harm proves irreparable. Let me neither rage against you nor against my own limits, O Lord, but let me instead find humility to trust your sovereignty and to comfort others however I can. I would be a bearer of your peace, but let me also learn to rest my own heart in it That at the end of each shift, I might return home, not shaken or distracted, but able to be fully present for those who need me, not just in the discord of one dire moment, but daily through the slow and necessary lifelong work of deep fellowship and nurturing and love. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to turn your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to pose this question to you. If you're going to rescue someone in a crisis, if you have to save someone in an emergency, how do you do it? I would say step one is you have to save yourself. How many of you have ever fl- flown on a plane, a commercial airline? Then you might recall that they, they go through the safety protocols and they tell you in the case of an emergency, an oxygen mask will be deployed. It will drop down in front of you. What are you supposed to do first? Put your own mask on and then help somebody else, right? They say it every time. Make sure, put your own mask on first. Then you can help the child or the person in need next to you. If you're going to save anyone, you got to save yourself first. Now, for the last five weeks, our church has been studying the book of 1 Timothy. There's only six chapters, and so today we're in the final chapter of it. And when we get into this last chapter, I want to make mention of something we studied a couple weeks ago. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 16. He said, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. So for the past five weeks, we've been working through this letter and and Paul spends most of the time talking to Timothy about how to lead other people, about how to lead in a difficult situation in the church. The reason it was difficult is because there were people that were teaching all kinds of false doctrines to the congregation. But here in the final chapter, Paul mentions those people again. But instead of focusing on what they were teaching and on what they were saying that was causing confusion, what Paul does is he focuses on the fruit of their words and their works. He highlights what they produce with the wrong attitude and wrong motive. I believe this verse is in your notes, but in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 2, Paul begins to describe those people one more time to Timothy. He says, these are the things that you are to teach and insist on. And that statement, by the way, is a reference to everything we've studied the last three chapters. He said, teach these things. But in verse 3, he says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, they are conceited and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife. Malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is just a means of financial gain. He says this is the result of those people. You know, you can usually tell enough about a person by what they produce. You don't really have to know everything about what they believe. You can just look at the evidence of their life. Atheism, for example, hasn't produced anything of significant substance to our culture. While Christianity, on the other hand, when you just study world history, you you discover that hospitals, that was a Christian idea. Nursing was a Christian idea. College universities were a Christian idea. Most of our Ivy League schools today, they... They might not reflect it today in their values, but if you look at what's inscribed in stone on the gates of our Ivy League schools, you'll find that they were established primarily for the educating of preachers for the ministry of the gospel. Even the idea that everybody in a society should be able to read, that was a Christian idea because Christians believe that everyone should have an opportunity to read the word of God. Western civilization... That was formed out of Christianity. I was having a, a conversation earlier this week with uh, Holly Corcus. I don't know where Holly is, but she was telling me about her experience in China. And she said when she got to China, she was blown away by the, the darkness. Like it, it just, it was like a blanket, a veil over the eyes of the people there. She said it was, it was a palpable sense of just heaviness and, and darkness. And no wonder living in a nation where Christianity has been forced underground and where people could not do what we're doing this morning on this Labor Day weekend, proclaiming the gospel in the middle of our community. People wouldn't have that opportunity. And so it's no wonder that the darkness could be felt when she got off the plane. I had breakfast this past Tuesday with our state representative, Joe Diorsi. And as we were talking together, he, he made a statement about the history of America. He said to me, anyone who claims that America was not founded on Christian values is simply lying. Even Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. So while Paul spent most of this letter of 1 Timothy talking about how to lead the church, how to deal with the difficult people. He comes full circle in the last chapter, and what Paul focuses on is the priority of how to lead yourself. In other words, this is the first response of a first responder when it comes to walking with Jesus. Paul gives Timothy four keys to succeed as a man of God. And so what I want to do in the next few moments, I want to give you these four keys that you can succeed as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a child of God. This is our first response. And in verse 11, he gives the first one, and it's flee. The word says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. Now, I'll admit, when you're talking about inspiring people to success, saying fleeing is the first point doesn't sound very inspirational, Right? Let me qualify that and say that there are certainly times where fleeing is indicative of cowardice. I love the story in Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah was leading Israelites to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And Sanballat and Tobiah were trying to intimidate him. And he's working on the wall. And then a prophet comes to Nehemiah. And he says, Nehemiah, let's go into the temple. Let's flee to the temple and hide because these men want to kill you. And I love Nehemiah's response in chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, should I be the kind of man to flee? I will not go. I love that verse. He said, forget you, buddy. I will not go. He says in the next couple verses, I realized that they had paid that prophet to come and counsel me to run away to intimidate me. When I think of first responders, I don't think of people that run from danger. I think f- about people that run into danger. But I want you to know there are times when fleeing is the mark of wisdom and the means of victory. If you look at the story in Joseph 30, uh, Genesis 39, Joseph was in the home of his master Potiphar, and many of you know the story. Potiphar's wife desired to have a relationship with Joseph, an inappropriate relationship. And one day she grabs him by the the coat and she says, come to bed with me. Joseph realizes in that moment that not only would this be a, a dishonorable thing to do towards his master, but also dishonorable to the Lord, and the Bible says he fled from that situation. He left his coat in her hand and ran away. I love the story in 1 Samuel of David when King Saul tried to kill him. Now, David was a mighty warrior. David could have probably in that moment risen up and overpowered King Saul and taken the throne, but he knew this was not the time to fight, and it wasn't his battle to fight, and so David fled in that moment he fled from Saul if you're going to be a a man or a woman of God sometimes there are things you have to flee from you have to separate yourself from people who are focused on fruitless conversations and so Paul tells Timothy here he says you you're, you're not literally to run from anyone What he's saying is, I want you to separate yourself. That's what the Greek word that we have as flee here means. It means separate yourself from the sins of others, from false teachers. I love Paul's words in Romans 16 verse 9. He said, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent of evil. So he says, Timothy, if you're going to fight the good fight of faith, You've got to guard what's been entrusted you. Step one is this: you've got to flee from evil. The second thing is this: follow. Number two, follow. Verse two goes on to, or verse eleven says, "But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness." That that word for pursue or follow means to hotly pursue, to run swiftly after, to seek eagerly, and earnestly. It's the idea of going after something until you get it. It's the idea of saying, I'm going to pursue this, and I'm not going to quit until I reach the goal. And according to Paul, there were six things here that he said, Timothy, you got to go after these things. you got to hotly pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Listen, a life that honors God is an honorable life. You want to live an honorable life? Live a life that honors God. And so the point that I'm trying to make and that Paul was making is, listen, you don't become a person that God intends you to be just by avoiding the wrong, just by fleeing evil or fleeing from sin. You become the man of God. You become the woman of God by pursuing what is right. In other words, No one achieves holiness by subtraction. We've got to go after some things. If you want to live a life that pleases God, you got to go after some things. How many of you recognize that the church today, we should be known more for what we're for than we're known for what we're against? It's not enough to just stand against stuff that we don't like in the culture. It's time the church stands up for some things. And he says, yes, you got to flee from some things, but there's some things you got to follow. Jesus didn't say, take up your cross and run from the world. He said, take up your cross and follow me. we got to be more about what we're for than what we're against. The third thing that Paul said is, Timothy, you got to fight. Yes, you have to flee from evil. Yes, you have to follow after righteousness. But, Timothy, you have to fight the fight of faith. That's what verse 12 says. Fight the good fight. Of faith, and that verb really means keep on fighting. In other words, it's it's not just one round. It's not even ten rounds or twelve rounds. It's you keep on fighting this fight of faith. It's where we get the English expression to agonize. That that's what the tone of this word means to agonize over something. It's a word they used for athletes. It's a word they used for soldiers. It described. A person that strains and gives their very best to win the prize or to win the battle. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says. How many of you know that the good fight is the one you win? He said, fight the good fight. If you've been saved for 10 years or if you've been saved for 10 days, you know that serving the Lord is a fight. Paul says, Keep on fighting. Don't give up in the battle. Even near the end of his own life, he wrote a second letter to Timothy. It's the last words that we have of the Apostle Paul. And in that letter, he said this about himself. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And can I tell you, you're not done fighting until you've finished the race. Paul knew he was at the end of his life, and that's the only reason he could say that. But as for us, we still have life to live, we have breath in our bodies, and we have a fight of faith to continue on in, to strive, to agonize for the prize. I want to challenge you today, no matter how long you've been serving the Lord, don't give up, don't give in, flee from sin, follow after godliness, and fight the fight of faith. And the fourth and the final thing that Paul tells Timothy is this, be faithful. Be faithful. In verse twelve through fourteen, he says, "Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ." At the beginning of this letter, chapter one in verse eleven, Paul said, "This gospel was entrusted to me." Now he says, "Timothy, I'm entrusting it to you." And I'm not just giving it to you, I'm entrusting you to pass it on to others. In fact, when he comes back in the next letter, in second Timothy, chapter two and verse two, Paul says, "And the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others." So we see four legs of the relay there. Paul said, I believe this gospel, and I entrusted it to you. Now, Timothy, I want you to entrust it to other people who will be reliable enough to pass it on to other people. He says, be faithful. So the question that I have for all of us today is, will the faithfulness end with us? How many of you understand today that, that the gospel is only one generation from extinction? The church is one generation from extinction. The Bible says in the Old Testament, after all that God did for Moses, and after all that he did for Joshua, and leading them out of uh, bondage in Egypt, and bringing them through the wilderness, and into the promised land, the Bible says when all of Joshua's generation had passed, another generation was born that did not know the works that God had done. So will faithfulness stop in America with our generation? It's been passed on to us. It's ours to guard and to pass on to the next generation. The truth is, when you study out this text, and many of you have done this with us for several weeks now, you understand it would have been a whole lot easier for Timothy, who was pastoring this church in the metropolis of Ephesus, to just allow the gospel to turn into something that that was more socially acceptable. It would have been so much easier for him instead of, Standing his ground and preaching against the tide of society. It would have been easier for him to just let the gospel become something more socially acceptable. And we have the same choice today, church. We can allow the influence of culture to compromise the integrity of the gospel. Or we can choose to be faithful. Be faithful to God's word as the final authority of your life. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Amen. I want to challenge you today to take these four commands, these four challenges from the Apostle Paul to Timothy as your own command to flee from evil, to follow godliness, to continue to fight the good fight of faith, and to be faithful to the truth. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God, young and old alike. Be what Paul called Timothy when he began this letter, a true son in the faith. And I want to end this message with the final words that the Apostle Paul writes in this letter. In fact, I want his words to Timothy to be a prayer for your life and for my life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, just insert your own name into the text where it says Timothy. Put your own name there. Paul writes these words. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, And in so doing, they have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. I want to pray for you today. I want to ask if you would, while we're out here this morning, just bow your head all over the yard. Would you take a moment with me to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today? But I believe there are many here this morning that your spirit is calling them to flee from evil. Some of them, they think they're doing the noble thing by resisting a temptation to sin. When you're calling them to remove themselves from the situation. Others have, have gotten themselves entrenched in arguments and debates and mudslinging. And maybe it feels like the noble thing to do, but your Holy Spirit today is calling us to just live above the fray, to get out of the mud that other people want to sling, and to flee from evil, to live a life that is above reproach. Holy Spirit, would you convict us today about the changes that need to happen in our lives That we would flee from evil. That our light would shine as a contrast to this watching world. And God, I believe by your spirit today, you're challenging some of us to follow. To follow God. Not to just mentally align with a, a, a biblical worldview, but to really live out a faith of obedience. God, give us practically the next steps that we need to take. Some of us need to commit to be a part of the house of God again. Some of us need to commit to be a a student of the word of God again. Some of us need to commit to share the gospel in our workplace and in our community. Some of us, we need to commit, God, to walk in obedience to the known Will of God for our lives today, Lord, we commit to follow. And I pray for those that are here that are struggling in the fight. As we hear Paul's words today, fight the good fight of faith, Lord. Maybe there's someone here that is just tired. They're just weary. They love you, but they're worn out. God, would you by your Holy Spirit begin to strengthen your people again? Your word declares a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. God, I pray that there would be a a, a getting up in the spirit right now. That those that have struggled, those that have persevered through unanswered prayers, through difficult seasons, through battles with anxiety or depression or fear, God, let this be the moment that they're reminded you are not counted out. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. If God be for you, who can be against you? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, man of God. He lives in you, woman of God. Get up and keep fighting the fight of faith. And God, I thank you that by your spirit, you're calling each and every one of us to be faithful to be faithful. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you especially today, again, for all of our first responders, those that model for us week in and week out in the natural what you've called all of of us to do in the spirit world and for your kingdom to respond to the needs with boldness and confidence and faith. Jesus, may we all leave this service today healed and whole and able to serve you to our greatest potential and for your greatest glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give God praise today. Come on.